Good morning, church. Happy to be given the opportunity to open up God's word with you once again. If you've been following along, we have been in the book of Colossians, and and we're in a really cool part of Colossians where it's, it's Paul kind of saying, this is how we are to live. This is how we are to act. Uh, so we're going to pick up in Colossians 3, Colossians 3, 15 through 17. It says this, <clears throat> And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this space. We thank you for your word, God. We ask as we we dive into your word, we come to a better understanding of of how you have called us to live, that we come to a better understanding of what our purpose in life is, God, and and we come to a better understanding of, of ways that we can live a Christian life together in one body, Lord, and we never want to do anything other than to give you glory, honor, and praise because you are the only one worthy of it, amen. Luckily for you, I'm going to go ahead and get rid of all of my movies and sports illustrations right out of the gate, but that also means you're going to get a couple of them in one go. First, if you watched the Super Bowl this year, you may have caught the end of the game where the Bucks won, and now I'm going to leave. Now I left some space for Ian and Logan to cheer. Now, In this, the ending of the game, there's this conversation that happened between Tom Brady and one of my favorite players of all time, Gronk. In this interaction, you hear Tom Brady say, this is what we do. Now, Tom Brady is arguably the greatest quarterback in NFL history, and Gronk is one of the greatest tight ends. And it's true, their their purpose, what they were trained to do, what, what they were built for was to be really really ridiculously good at football. Similarly, if you've ever watched the movie 300, there's a point in which Leonidas is talking to a non-Spartan leader about their army. And this Greek man said, well, our army consists of bakers and blacksmiths. Leonidas turns to his men and he says, Spartans, what is your profession? That's met with a group of of 300 incredibly fit men who I'm assuming are on a very high protein-rich diet, and they just start yelling. They were built to be warriors. They were built to be Spartans, and they were really, really good at it. Now, what about a more existential example? Clearly, I'm going to go to the movie Zoolander. The main character in this, halfway through the movie, he's questioning his life. He looks up to the stars. He says, who am I? His phone rings. He immediately picks up and he answers God because he thought God was calling him to answer this question. Zoolander, he was looking for a sign. He, He wanted someone to show him what his purpose was. Now, those might be goofy examples, And I do want to just bring them up because it gets us wrestling with this idea that we ask this question all the time. Why am I here? What is my purpose? 
As Christian, God gives us purposes, gives us a purpose. And, and he gives us a way, he kind of outlines the way we are to live our lives. And I think it might be a lot simpler than we think. As you think through this idea, this question of what is my purpose, what is my identity, sometimes maybe you would have the tendency to answer the question like this. My purpose is to climb the corporate ladder. My purpose is to be a teacher. My purpose is to start my own business. Or maybe my purpose is to be a husband or a wife. My purpose is to be a parent. My purpose is to be a good kid. Or maybe you haven't asked the question of what is my purpose, but maybe you, you framed it in a way of what is my calling? Maybe I'll be a fireman or a cop. Well, none of these things are inherently bad. I think that when they are the sole answer to the question of this is what I was created for, then I think we're missing something greater. We're missing something even simpler. And that's what we're going to look at today. Because as Christians, we should know what our purpose looks like. So we should be able to answer the question, what is my purpose? And we need to lay the foundation to answer this question. The first thing that we do is that we need to, to look at the idea of peace. What is our purpose? Because our purpose rests in peace. And especially important to know that this peace is not of our own making. In verse 15 it says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. We as Christians are the body of Christ. We are called to live and rest in the peace of Christ. And we are to do that together. Without division or rifts between us, we are to be one body at peace because of the peace that God has given us. In addition to that, when I was wrestling through this, this passage, I was caught on this phrase, peace of Christ. What does peace of Christ look like? And I looked through a couple commentaries, and, and there are two big takeaways that I truly love. So I'm going to talk about what does it mean to, to have this peace of Christ? Because I think the, the peace of Christ is the foundation to the way that we structure our lives. The, the peace of Christ is simply speaking that the peace Christ secured for us. The fact that, that Christ has brought us peace with God. We, as Christians, we need to acknowledge that we are sinners. We have fallen away from God. We have broken his rules and his laws for us. And this sin in our lives, it makes us the very enemy of God. And God must punish this sin he must serve as a just judge. He must punish the guilty. But Christ comes in and he takes that punishment for us. He appeases God. He takes away our sin. He places it on himself. And he is willing to die to take the punishment so that we can once again be seen at peace with God. The peace of Christ is, is the foundational aspect in our lives. Without it, we would still be at war with God. We would not know peace because we would always know of the coming judgment that our sins was bringing about. And there's no way to live. That pressure alone would break anyone. So Christ frees us from that pressure. He gives us peace. And we can Rest because we have peace. The work is done. We can breathe. 
We can sing songs like, it is well, it is well with my soul, because we are free from the burden of sin. We are now resting in the peace of Christ, the peace that Christ has secured for us on the cross. And another beautiful thing that comes with this this idea of peace of Christ is that this peace of Christ, it helps us fight the lies we often tell ourselves. When we submit and we rest in this peace, it brings us to a profound and wonderful place. We live in a world that's, that's filled with lies that we often tell ourselves. Lies like, you are not good enough. You are not smart enough. You're a bad person. You will never accomplish anything of value. You will not succeed. You will fail. Now, I didn't take a poll to get those examples because those are all lies that I personally tell myself. And when you're living with these lies, there is no peace. There is no rest. There's just pain and heartache. There's unrest, there's tension, there's a war raging in your heart. But what happens when I say to those thoughts that I will not let those thoughts be my identity? They will not be my purpose. No, instead, my foundation, the core of who I am, rests in the peace of Christ, the peace that only He can provide. No longer do I start to believe these lies. I'm not a good enough turns into you are good enough to be a child of God. I'm a bad person turns into you are an image of God. You will fail turns into I have already succeeded because of what Christ has done for me. Now it's a lifetime of working through this in a community with counselors, however you want to get through it, but it all rests on the foundation that Christ has brought us peace. So the first step to answering this question of what is your purpose is to truly come to an understanding of what it means to live in the peace of Christ and setting that peace as your foundation to build off of. Once you're there, you can start to to build and establish a better understanding of who God is and how do we do that. We do that by studying His Word. And that brings us to my second point. Practice. Verse 16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Practice, practice. Now we're talking about practice. What are we to practice? What are the actions that we're here to take? Now that, now that we know that we're living in the peace of Christ, what are we to do in our lives? How can we learn about Christ? How can we learn better about ourselves? How can we learn and teach others the message of Christ and the peace that he has secured for us? I think the best way to learn how to live this life is to practice what it truly means to be a Christian is that you have to get the source material right. You have to know what you're talking about. You have to get it from the source, and that is God's word. We need to make sure that we we agree that the source of all knowledge and wisdom is God. In our passage from Daniel 2 that, that we heard earlier that Mark read We see Daniel giving credit to who? God, for what? For bringing all wisdom and knowledge. God and his word is our source material. We need to practice using his truth as our foundation in our lives, as we live our lives and we teach and help each other. Jeff mentioned a few weeks ago that that there are sometimes specific sins that human beings just commonly go back to past, present, and future. There are, there are things that we, that we as humans just constantly 
do and sin against. I think one thing here that that we often do is that we do not get our source material right. In, In one way, we are basically viewing other things as gospel or viewing other things at the same level as the gospel, and that's damaging. Or in other words, we tend to elevate other words and devalue the word of God. Here's a couple examples. First, if you go back in Colossians, go to Colossians 2. We talked about this recently. In Colossians 2, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. It's a warning, right? And it's a warning there because it's happening. There were people devaluing the core message of the gospel and elevating the messages of others in the world. And Paul encouraged the church to be aware and fight against it. Another example, you could look at the history of the church, you could look at the history of the Reformed movement. How did this happen? It was the Reformers coming to an understanding that the church leadership of the time, they were overstepping their bounds. They were adding to the gospel. They were bringing in their own ideals, their own doctrines that were not supported by the knowledge and truth laid out in God's word. So the reformers did what? They let out a cry. They said, go back to the source material. Go back to the source. Stop influencing God's people through man-made thoughts and ideals. There were people devaluing the core message of the gospel and elevating the messages of others and the world. And finally, can we see this today? We can easily be influenced or guided away from the truth of God's word. From the knowledge and the foundation that was laid out to us by God, we can be brought away from. And we can see it everywhere. You can see it time and time again. We constantly are seeing people who put their hope and trust in church leaders or celebrity evangelists or celebrity preachers just to come find out that they are actually wolves in sheep's clothing. In these situations, we can easily see that that people have devalued the core message of the gospel to elevate the messages of others in the world. And it's damaging to the church, it's damaging to us, it's traumatic. It leads people away from the church and it should break our hearts. So what's the fix if it's something that we constantly go through? The fix is simple. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We are never to let the truth of God's word be devalued or weakened by any thought or argument made by man. So we need to meditate on the word day and night so that we know that our foundation is secure in God so that we are less likely to be swayed by others. We need to know that even our favorite authors, preachers, politicians, political party, news media source, blogs, magazines, or websites, they are not perfect. So do not act as if they are. And they are not as important as God's word. We need to hold each other accountable for our actions. When we slip up, we need to have others bring us back to the word of God, first and foremost. We need to have some introspection. We need to look at our own actions. We, we need to see how we interact with others. We need to be able to answer questions like, am I helping further the kingdom of God with my actions, or am I damaging it? 
Even if you think you are doing good, are you teaching and admonishing others using the word of Christ first before your own words? In your teaching and building up, are you showing love, mercy, and forgiveness? Or does it come out as aggressive or accusatory? Verse 15 says, we are called to have peace with each other in one body. You cannot do that if you're trying to teach somebody by hurting them and shaming them. We simply need to submit to God's word above all things, ideals, movements, or understandings. And when we do that, when, when we're resting in the peace of Christ, when, when we're practicing what it means to truly live our lives as a foundational, as trusting in all the words of God and not influencing it with our own words, our response is going to be one thing, and that's giving all the praise to God. Look at the end of verse 15. It says, and be thankful. And then the rest of verse 16 and 17 singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, without going to too much exposition here, it's, it's really simple. Because of the peace of Christ, the peace that he has secured for us, we are to be thankful with the knowledge given to us by the words of Christ throughout God's word, what are we to do? Give thanks, praise him, sing songs, and, and in these songs, let these messages of truth and understanding come through. If you read through the Psalms, they're filled with praises and giving thanks to God for what he has done. You look back again at Daniel 2, the passage we, we looked at earlier. It's Daniel doing what? Giving thanks and praise to God because of the wisdom and knowledge he has given. And then we see in our verse, what are we to do? We are to praise. And when are we supposed to praise God? Every time, about everything. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. We have all things because of God. So in all things, we are to praise him at work, at school, in our leisure time, while doing our chores and errands, while shoveling out our driveways and sidewalks. All the glory is given to him. So without going through every scripture that points out to the time that we are to give praise or give thanks to God because we would be here for a very long time, I just want to go to one example. One of my favorite stories in all of scripture comes in Acts 16, and we recently went through the book of Acts, so you might be familiar with it. But there is a story that I think we can look at Paul, and we look at Silas, and we can see them living out a life where they know their purpose. They are living in the peace of Christ. They know, that they're, they know what God has given them in his word. They know this, and they know that everything they do, they should praise God. So in Acts 16, you have the story of, of Paul and Silas and a Philippian jailer. And just a quick recap, you have Paul and Silas, they were traveling on one of the many missionary journeys that they made. During this time, they came across a young servant girl who was apparently possessed by a demon, and she had this ability to tell fortunes, and she made money for her masters in doing so. After a while, this girl following Paul and Silas, Paul got annoyed, and he released the demon from this girl. She could no longer make money for her masters. 
So because of that, the masters came to the authorities and said, Paul and Silas, they need to be punished. And they were. They were found guilty. They were beaten and then thrown in prison. And the amazing part about the story is to see their response. What did they do when they were thrown in prison? They stayed up late and they did what? They prayed and they sang songs. They were praising God in one of the most uncomfortable places imaginable. They still felt the peace of Christ during their life's harsh reality they were in. And not only that, through their prayers and through their hymns being sung, they were leading and teaching others. The part of the story that grabs me every single time is once you see Paul and Silas praying and singing, you see that the prisoners were listening to them. What are your words like? What is your reaction to life's trials and tribulations? If someone were to record what you said in your worst moments, would they hear praises to God? I know for me, that's a recording I don't want to listen to. But Paul and Silas, they were practicing what it looks like to truly rest in the peace of God. They were practicing what it means to be filled with the word of God, and their only option, the only thing that they could think of doing was what? Express praise to God. Can we do the same? And then what happened with this? Yes, they were living out peace. They were living out practice. They were living out praise. But what happened? It changed lives. Later in the story, a supernatural earthquake comes in. It opens the prison cells. It releases the chains. The prisoners are now free. And the jailer starts to worry, and he's going to take his own life. But what does Paul say? He says, do not harm yourself. Don't kill yourself. But then on top of that, he says, we are all still here. Not just Paul, not just Silas. We are all still here. The praise, the prayers, the singing out, the teaching, the others listening, they were moved by what peace they saw in Paul and Silas. Do not harm yourself. We are all still here. Peace, practice, and praise changed lives in that situation. And this brings us back to the question I asked at the beginning. What is your purpose? What is your calling? What is your identity? Where is your foundation laid on which all knowledge is held? We must build our foundation on Christ, on the peace that he has given us, and on his knowledge that he has unfolded for us in his word. When we do that, when we truly do that, the natural outflow of our heart will be to praise God and thank him for all he has done. We will not have a choice, right? It's like those athletes, every time they score a point, they automatically point to the sky. It's a reaction. It's just what they do. We need to give all glory, honor, and praise to God in all things. So I know peace, practice, praise might be as cheesy as those live, laugh, love signs you may have seen. And you may be rolling your eyes at me every time I've said peace, practice, praise. And I get it. But hopefully you can remember peace, practice, praise. And how it's a simple answer to the question, what is my purpose? We can rest in the peace of Christ for what he has done for us. And we are to share in that peace with the church body and those around us. We are to practice out searching for all wisdom, guidance, and knowledge first from God and his word above all others. 
And because of what he has done, we are to praise and thank him, giving him all the glory. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this time. Again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it is reflected in our lives, God. We ask that you continually work in our hearts, God. We, we ask that you give us the ability to truly rest in your peace, God. We ask that you, you give us the guidance that we rest in your word and your truth above all else, God. And we ask that you move in our hearts that, that the only thing we know how to do in all that we do is to give you praise and thanks. And I give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, for you are the only one worthy of it. Amen. And now, church, we come to a time where we confess our sins together. Because as Christians, we have to acknowledge that, that we have wronged God. We have sinned against him. We have fallen away. And we need to confess that we need him to desperately save us. So if you can, please pray along with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you because you first loved us and gave Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. We praise you for your loving welcome, daily mercies, and sufficient grace. Forgive us for treasuring the pleasures of the world more than the riches of grace. Forgive us for dwelling too much on our fears and too little on your beauty. Forgive us for rehearsing the failings of others more than the truths of the gospel. Forgive us for being quick to whine and slow to worship. We offer our confession in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Take a moment to privately confess your sins to our God. Lord, we ask that you hear our cries and you hear our confessions, God. And we ask that you fill us with a sense of peace and rest. Amen. Romans 5 says this, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's continue to worship together. <laughs>